Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Thursday, June 3rd. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. When COVID-19 was at an all-time high, veterinary diagnostic centers stepped up to meet testing demand. I mean, it was like a wartime effort. In just a few minutes, we will hear how veterinarians and the agriculture industry might be involved in preventing the next pandemic. Republican lawmakers want Governor Mike Parson to call a special session to prevent cities from cutting money for law enforcement and shifting the funds to social service programs. St. Louis Public Radio's Jason Rosenbaum reports on how some Missouri GOP legislators are trying to combat what's known as defunding the police. Some lawmakers, like Republican State Representative Nick Schroer of St. Charles County, want to enact penalties against cities that cut funding for police and send it elsewhere. He's opposed to St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones's plan to shift $4 million that would have gone to vacant police positions to instead help, among other things, crime victims and the homeless population. I'm truly worried that by taking resources away from our law enforcement officers, especially when they need it the most, violent crime will skyrocket. In a statement, Jones said a special session would be, quote, government overreach and a waste of taxpayer dollars. The money that goes toward vacant police positions typically goes toward officer overtime. I'm Jason Rosenbaum, St. Louis Public Radio. Illinois lawmakers have approved more initiatives to convince residents to get the COVID-19 vaccine. One measure allows bars to give people a free drink with proof of vaccination. Governor J.B. Pritzker says the just-passed $42 billion state budget will allow a lottery for those who have been vaccinated, similar to a program in Ohio. We have uh, now a beer and a shot. Uh, and, or a shot in a shot for the rest of us, uh, and, uh, and, and lots of other incentives coming, including uh, potentially a uh, vaccine lottery. That lottery is still in the development stages. It could give away up to $7 million in prizes and up to $3 million in scholarships for Illinois residents under 18. St. Louis is holding a public hearing this evening on a plan to spend federal pandemic recovery money. The city has received nearly $250 million so far. Mayor Tashara Jones has announced a framework to spend $68 million of that money. Black and brown people have been affected by the coronavirus and the effects of coronavirus more than any other ethnicity. And so we're making sure that we use these funds to help those who have been most affected. That audio is from Five on Your Side. The plan has six focus areas, including housing assistance, expanding Internet access, and critical health needs. Residents who want to comment on the plan during this evening's meeting need to sign up at the city's website. The owner of a mixed-use development in Midtown St. Louis has agreed to contribute nearly $2 million to the St. Louis Affordable Housing Trust in order to keep tax incentives. The mayor's office and newly elected alderwoman Tina Peel, who represents parts of Midtown, made the deal with City Foundry after reviewing a more than $17 million tax incentive plan. Peel praises the contribution as a, quote, equitable development fee. She says the agreement could serve as a model for a new strategy to transfer some gains from the thriving Central Corridor to struggling neighborhoods on the north side. This agreement still needs final approval from the Board of Aldermen. One of the rarest trees in the world has bloomed at Missouri Botanical Garden. 
Karomia gigas is native to Tanzania. There are only 25 in the wild. The garden's senior vice president of horticulture, Andrew Wyatt, says this unique moment marks the first time a trained botanist or anyone may have seen it bloom. The excitement was very, um, very evident amongst the staff. Obviously, it took three years to get the plant to flower. And, and we were debating whether it was actually going to flower in our, uh, during our careers, during our lifetimes even, um, because trees like that can take many, many years. Wyatt made those comments on St. Louis on the Air. He says the goal is to preserve the species. Animal disease labs throughout the country stepped up to meet the need for COVID-19 testing. Because of their experience tracking animal diseases, those labs had the infrastructure to test and monitor coronavirus. Harvest Public Media's Seth Bodine reports on how those labs might play a role in preventing the next pandemic. Johnna Mazette has seen her fair share of coronaviruses. Hundreds. Hundreds of coronaviruses. For the past 10 years, Mazette was the director of the project called PREDICT. Its goal? Detect emerging diseases around the world that could transfer from animals to humans, called spillover events. Mazette says they happen all the time. Most novel diseases, emerging infections, um, jump from one species where they've evolved and they don't cause big problems into others. But in other instances, Mazette says the results can be bad. Sometimes things jump into livestock, cook along, and then jump into people or affect our food supply so devastatingly that it has a major effect on food security, um, you know, nutrition. These spillover events are why veterinary science and public health for humans are intertwined and why animal disease experts could play a role in preventing the next pandemic. In the last 10 years, more than 70% of the emerging diseases that have affected humans have an animal component. That's Ken Burton. He's a coordinator for the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility, known as NBAF. The U.S. Department of Agriculture is working with Homeland Security to create a massive lab with the goal of preventing any emerging diseases that might threaten the food supply chain or agriculture industry. Burton says when the next pandemic rolls around, their facility could play a part in preventing it. It, it could provide a, a supporting role in future public health crises with relation to the basic animal research that's done and uh, diagnostics and countermeasure development, uh, in addition to training and, and response. Animal disease experts and the USDA were already involved in the COVID-19 pandemic. Labs like the Oklahoma Animal Disease Diagnostic Lab in Stillwater stepped up to expand testing capacity. It was like a wartime effort. That's Jerry Saliki, the director of the laboratory. His lab is part of a network working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture as a way to surveil animal diseases across the country. By last September, the lab ran 110,000 COVID-19 tests. Saliki says labs like his are used to large amounts of testing. Rarely does a period of five years go by without a major outbreak of a disease involving millions of one animal species. So we have that experience over a long period of time. Infectious diseases that spreads through livestock could be devastating for the agriculture sector. A current example is the African swine fever outbreak in China. Some areas of the country have lost at least half of their sows. 
Experts like John and Mazette think government facilities like NBAF play a role in preventing diseases, but there needs to be early monitoring and action to prevent diseases. We should have been ready and been watching for all these coronaviruses that we know uh, can jump species earlier, that, but even when it happens, then we waited weeks to actually months before the international community jumped in. So we need to have the, that early flag, respond quickly and largely, and then scale back when we get it under control or if it's not a, a real problem. NBAF wasn't up and running for COVID-19, but Burton says animal disease labs have a better roadmap for how to help during the next pandemic. Collaborations not only within the agricultural community, but also the crossover between the, the human side and the animal side is going to be extremely important going forward. NBAF is expected to open in October, but as Burton and other experts know, that could be critical to preventing the next pandemic. Seth Bodine, Harvest Public Media. Harvest Public Media reports on agricultural issues in collaboration with St. Louis Public Radio and other public media stations throughout the Midwest. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I am out for the next few days. A plethora of people will be behind the microphone starting tomorrow with the legend that is St. Louis Public Radio's Ryan Delaney. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.